The path of a martial artist is one of constant self-awareness. You are constantly looking to improve your techniques and learn new ones. And it, sometimes in that search, you realize you have a deficiency in your abilities. I think one area that may be true for, in general, for jujitsu practitioners is the takedowns. It's something that a lot of schools avoid because of the risk of injury, but it's something that we all do want to get better at. And it's part of grappling. And in today's discussion, I have the privilege of getting to pick the brain of a very talented martial artist, jiu-jitsu black belt, and owner and head instructor of Hurricane Jiu-Jitsu out in Cleveland. Now, in our discussion, we, of course, dive into the, the subject matter of takedowns, but we also bring up the subject of how he has so many black belts and what he does to keep these black belts at his school. And also what he does to cultivate a creative environment for those practitioners in the school, not just black belts, but also lower belts. We also talk a little bit about guard play. And as always, it was a very informative discussion. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with John Lawrence. I'm your host. And you're listening to the Flow Row Podcast. Now, if you're new to the Flow Row Podcast, make sure you check out our website, theflowrowpodcast.com. There you'll find a complete catalog of all our episodes. And if you're interested in certain subjects like jujitsu, you'll find playlists there that have to do with just that. So make sure you check that out. Now, without further ado, on with the show. All right. So welcome to another episode of the Floral Podcast. I am Edgar Otraves. And today on the show, we have uh, jiu-jitsu practitioner, black belt, owner of Hurricane Jiu-Jitsu out in Cleveland. We have John Lawrence. Thank you for coming on the show today, John Lawrence. John Lawrence. I, mean, I, lo- I, love, uh, I love talking to you, Edgar Otraves. <laughs> love talking to you. Yeah, I, I just threw that on there. I don't know. Um, it just uh, flows. It just you know rolls right off the tongue so easily. I think it's, so. like, I think it's like you have karate kid PTSD. So that's that's the full John Lawrence effect right there. I, I can't help but think about uh, Karate Kid just a little bit. I try not to bring it up because I'm sure you hear it all the time. I hear but... it occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole, you know, jujitsu thing, martial arts thing, I'm sure that doesn't help. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, so um, so I, I see that you're having a lot of success out there in Cleveland. And uh, the last time I was there, I was really impressed with uh, how many black belts are still on your team and hanging out. And just being part of the crew and you oh, have, okay. I mean, it's a large school and then you have so many black folks. How do you, how do you keep these guys sticking around? Is it just, you know, their own personalities? You have nothing to do with it or what is it about? Cause I mean, one of the first things people want to do, they get their black belt and they want to go start their own school. And these guys seem pretty happy just to stick around. Yeah. That's yeah. It's a, that's a good one. Um, so maybe we can put a pin in like a couple of bullet points and then and then go down the list. The first thing is um I think there's a difference between having a school like my school and I'm not trying to put it above or below any other schools it's just it's a certain size we have a certain number of students and we have a busy schedule. So that's a certain type or a certain level of school. I think people don't appreciate how just how much goes into running a place like that. This the first thing is that it's just, I think it's a lot of, um, I think it's a lot of, I don't want to use the word work because people get confused when you use the word work. It's just a lot involved. 
so it's not so easy to just like go off on your own and like start another hurricane just as an example but i mean you could say start another grace baja or start another great you know uh, another um valente brothers like another big school but i think more than that it's i i've always tried to i always try to to look at what some other schools that i've trained at or that i've visited or that i've known about like what are they doing that is losing them students in black belts and you know, obviously, like, how can I not repeat those mistakes? And I think the one, the one overarching mistake that I see the the owners make, they try to make everybody else just like them. And they try to be the man at the school all the time. That's, it's a, it's kind of a crude term, like be the man, but I think you're kind of like understanding what I mean when I say that. 100%. I've had that experience. I've seen people who want to be the man and they just, right. uh, it, it, you know, sometimes it, it comes off. Of, uh, I see it in a few different ways. Some people come off like a little douchey. Uh, other people are just like their law. Their, their, the word is the law. You know what they say goes and that kind of stuff yeah. doesn't work either. Um, so I've seen some examples. Yeah, it's that's a real turnoff to people. It was always a real turnoff to me. Um, and I mean, I'm a person who like wants to be the head of a school or the, or the leader of a school. But it's kind of like. There's uh, there's a thing, unfortunately, there's this thing on social media right now. There's, are there all these like alpha male dude influencers? Are you you're, you are you aware of this? Yeah, I'm, um, I, and my feelings get hurt every time one of these come up because they always they always throw out the like oh the the IT guy who uh, <laughs> who thinks he's you know you know he's he's uh, fighting mundials and and or whatever or ADCC or whatever at at their gym. You know that's uh, you know chill out. And and I've heard that. Yeah. And, sure. uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm not, a, I don't consider myself an influencer. I'm just a podcaster, but I guess that falls in the influencer <laughs> arena. I, I, and I, yeah. I mean, guys like who are popular, like on a world level, like, like an Andrew Tate, who you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of just, just so we can be real clear about that. Yeah. Um, but, but the whole alpha man, but it's, 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 if you have to say that you are, you're, you know, whatever that means, yeah. you're, I mean, you're obviously not. Um, <laughs> and I think, and I think the same thing goes for, um, being the head or being a, the leader of a school. If you have to stomp your, stomp your feet and jump up and down and, and constantly remind people that you're the man mm. and that you're the leader or, or, or whatever, then you're not like, if you're constantly barking and flexing, um, that's, that's a real turnoff to most people. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is. Um, I, th- I thought this was in reference to Craig Jones' com- um, little meme that that went out not too long ago. Something about like we have a alpha male. Uh, I, I forgot what the word was. Pandemic or whatever. It's just like, just too many alpha males going around. And it's just like, dude, you're you're a blue belt or whatever. Just shut up and enjoy uh, your. Well, I yeah. can I I can see where he's coming from there. Um, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Sidebar: Not a huge Craig Jones fan, but neither um, am I. Uh, yeah, okay, fine. yeah. <laughs> but maybe, maybe we'll maybe another time. Um, but I, I think I think um, I've always tried tried to be really conscious of giving all the instructors as much air and as much space to do their own thing as you know as as much as that makes sense for us to still all be on the same page and, and, and stay organized. I think it's important to just give people like give people room to grow and express themselves. And I don't want everybody to be copies of me. Um, mm. because if the, if they were the school, it wouldn't be nearly as good. Chris brings a certain style 
uh, Dan brings a certain style. Darla brings a certain style. Travis, he brings a certain style. They're all really different and, and, and they're all really different people too. And I wonder if somebody different owned the school, somebody different than me, I just wonder if they would be threatened by that mm. and try to shut that down. And, and then I think when you try to shut people down, people who are trying to grow and trying to express themselves. When you try to shut them down, it, it kills creativity. It's demoralizing. And then, so what do they do? They go, well, like, fuck this guy. He's not making me feel very good. I'm going to go do my own thing. Yeah. So I think that's, I, I think we, you and I have, I mean, you and I have both existed in the Chicago jujitsu environment for long enough. And and I think we could probably, we don't have to, but we could probably name a few schools where we've seen that happen. Yeah. So, a little bit. yeah. Right. Yeah. I think the other, the other issue too, with that kind of thinking is, is that then you limit the growth of the school. Right. So then like, if you want everybody to look yes. just like you, everybody has yes. the same look, uh, like what's going to happen when you go to tournament. Right. I mean, you're just going to, you're not going to see the same, uh, cues and you're going to get smushed. I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it, I agree with you there. I mean, it makes sense even from like a, from like a learning uh, perspective, you want these different looks, you want different fighters or different competitors, different practitioners to have different, you know, things that they do. Uh, if everybody looks the same, it's not good for you guys. You know, like it's, I think it's fantastic. And you have a lot of black belts. How many black belts do you have on, 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 uh, on staff or uh, like all together um, at, at Academy? I'd have to count the exact number that we've got hanging on the wall right now. But the, but I think it's important to note that everybody on the wall is not necessarily a full-time instructor. Mm -hmm. So I've got people who are on the website and they're, they're scheduled regular instructors. I mean, they're, you know, like tra um, uh, Travis and Chris and Dan and Darla are on, they're, they're on a loop. So mm -hmm. they're, they're always teaching every single week you know, unless somebody's out of town or something, but none of the other black belts are, are, are really doing that. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. And, uh, congratulations to Travis. He just recently got his black belt, right? Yeah. 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 Well, it very well deserved. He, uh, you know, he won the, um, the Nogi Pan American and, uh, it was just, it just kind of like timed pretty perfect with the, the winter promotions. So it was great. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's yeah. I like that dude. That dude's a cool guy. Um, He's great. Yeah. 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 The other thing I wanted to ask was the library that you're talking about or that I've seen you post about on your mm -hmm. uh, Instagram. What is that all about? Is that just for beginners? Is it for everybody? What is, who is the library for? Yeah. Excuse me. Um, yeah, that's, um, that's, that's an experiment that, that I, I wanted to run. That's the, it's, it's, and it's proved to be something I think we're going to, we're going to expand. We're going to make it even more what it is now. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I, so I would just consider it like, I think the, I don't think it's limited to this, but the best way to look at it is that if somebody comes in and they're blank slate, it's just, a it's going to be a really good foundation that they can get put in place. So I believe currently it's a 12 week loop. I think that's right. And we wanted to just film 12, 12 weeks of curriculum and just kind of see like, how do, you know, what does this look like? Are people coming to the classes? Are they using the video library? And it's, it's been a, it's been a really big hit. Mm -hmm. So I think what I'm going to do is expand it. I think I'm going to, going to blow it out to maybe 16 or 20 weeks. We're going to film some more stuff. And here's, what's really cool about it. If we have that, if we have that, that basics program, that fundamentals program in place, then it leaves us free during our during like our all levels program to basically just constantly explore 
new stuff or review stuff that's more advanced and like relevant to the modern games. We've got like, you know, we've got foundational basic stuff. We've got a video library associated with, so that's always going to be there. And then we can keep up with the modern jujitsu environment in our all levels program. And you, you have to keep in mind that we run concurrent classes on two different mat spaces. So we have a, we, we can have a 6 PM basics, but then we also have a 6 PM all levels and one's running on mat one and one's running on mat two. So mm-hmm. there's just only so many hours in the day, so many, so many instructors and so much mat space. So it's been very well received. I, I'm really enjoying it. And, and so- actually, actually, I like teaching that class probably more than I like teaching almost any other class. I, I love teaching new people. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I really do. I mean, I love, I love teaching really advanced people too. Mm-hmm. It's just a totally different experience. Well, what is it about like teaching new people that you like so much more? Um, so I think it's like, imagine you're a magician and mm-hmm. you're, you're doing like David Blaine street magic. You're going to neighborhoods and you're doing magic for people who are, you know, they don't know the trick. You know what I mean? And so everybody's you're like, you're blowing people's minds in, yeah. in certain circumstances. Right. But teaching advanced jujitsu is kind of like, sometimes it's like doing magic for other magicians. Oh, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. You so get that, it? Not nearly as impressed as the, the new guy, you know, they blow their mind, but the new guys, yeah, they, they get it. And they, maybe their mind is blown, but then they're not nearly as uh, surprised. Yes. The surprise isn't There's there. A, there's like a novelty to it. I mean, I'm, I can still be like, I can still be very impressed myself by like learning jujitsu from other people, but it, but it like, you get it, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's still cool. You can still learn something new, but you can see patterns in the magic trick. Mm. Whereas like, I think when you're brand new, you're just like, Oh my God, this, and it literally feels like magic. I mean, the first time you mount a black belt and you're like, and, and you try to hold the black belt down and you're just effortlessly reversed it's magic Mm -hmm. i remember my first experience it felt like it felt like magic it felt like i'm gonna or like a power i I walked out i walked out thinking to myself i'm gonna i'm gonna learn how to have this power one day Mm. so yeah I i love teaching beginners i think it's great well since we're on the topic of of beginners how do you just just in general get better at jujitsu how does a beginner, like you're saying, come in and like, well, look, I'm lost. Uh, there's all this stuff on YouTube. I don't know where to look, what to do. How do I get better quickly? Because everybody else is kicking my ass right now. Because, I mean, that's what happens, yeah. right? You know, some of the frustration yeah. in the beginning, especially, is you're you're losing all the time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's so I, I get asked that question a lot. And I think too often I sort of. I sort of blow it off and I, I probably shouldn't, and I'll, but I'll explain why I do. I see so many new people and I see so many faces and so many of them come in really excited and they, they tell you how dedicated they're going to be. And they tell you how good they're going to be at jujitsu. And I don't think they're lying. I think they really believe it. But when you're running a program, like I am, you, you get let down so often that you know, you feel like you can't, you feel like you can't necessarily get super invested when the new person is telling you, you know, how, um, how dedicated they're going to be to this for the next two decades. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to like, it's hard to match their enthusiasm, you know? So when they're like, Oh, you know, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want this to be my life. How do I get better? 
so often I will just say something like, you know, you just, just show up, which mm-hmm. is a pretty awful answer. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the correct answer once you walk the path and you understand it, mm-hmm. but it's pretty, it's pretty dismissive to somebody who's new. I mean, mm-hmm. right. So I think it all depends on the delivery because I mean, it's an honest answer, really. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it a, is. it's it like is. a huge component. Everything else will come if so long as you show up, but. So I, so I don't, that's the thing is that I don't feel like that's true. I feel like you could show mm. up for two decades and you could waste a lot of time. Mm. You know, if you, if you're, if you're training a certain, like there, there are ways that you can, I think what people are really asking is they're asking, how can I maximize my time here? Mm. That's a better question. And that's a question I can answer. How can I maximize my time during the hours that I have here? Let's just make a few assumptions off the bat. Let's assume that you found a school and you found an instructor that you that you trust and that you feel like they've got a good track record of turning out other, you know, so, so like just the foundational stuff's in place. You're at a good school, let's say. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think once you're at a good school, one of the first things you want to do when you're there and this might not be immediately obvious is you want to find a friend at the mm. school. It's not a great sport for lo- for loners, people who are, you know, solitary. Like you're going to need at least one training buddy where you can maybe set up mats at their house, or you can agree that you're going to get together and drill during like open mat time or sparring time. But you need somebody who's got the same goals, the same objectives and the same, I would also argue like the same body type, you know, Mm -hmm. someone around your range, but like you need somebody similar to you in in their attributes and in their goals. Mm. Okay. So that's, that's probably not the first piece of advice you're going to get from every other instructor, but I think it's really important. You show up at a school, find somebody like find a drilling buddy, somebody like-minded and somebody like you in attributes, that's going to become a really valuable resource in the years to come. So that's, that's number one. So anything on that or should we just keep rolling? Um, no, 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 nothing right now, but yeah, keep rolling. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing I think you should do is you should, you should talk to your instructor about, well, actually let's save that one for later. Cause that's maybe a little more advanced. The second thing you should do is you should, you should understand that it's not appropriate to train at like at a hundred percent all the time. This is the second thing I would like everybody to do. And it's, it's probably the last thing that people actually ever learn how to do. That's, that's the bummer of it. Mm. You know? So I've got this one guy right now who's new, but he's very talented. And he asked me the other day, how, like how often he should be going hard. He's like, how often should I be training hard? Mm. So that's going to be very individual specific. It's going to be based on your age. It's going to be based on your experience, your schedule. The bottom line is, and it's, it's kind of inferred in his question is that you don't want to be going full clip all the time. So I said to this guy, I go, look, I go, I go, how often can you make it in here? He says, I can make it in here seven days a week. Okay. Oh, wow. It, it, so he's got, he's got that kind of time. I, I go, I go do this for me. I go, I go, let's make four or five of those sessions all about just skill development. That's, that's all it's about. Right. Mm. So if you'd like a baseball analogy, it's going to be all about understanding how to swing the bat. It's going to be all about seeing what pitches are coming your way. 
it's going to be all about making contact with the ball, but we are not trying to hit any home runs right now. Mm. Okay. All we're trying to do is just like, is develop the skill through what you and I've talked about many times before drilling with like incrementally built resistance. So you're, you're, you're starting with none. You come to understand the technique a little more and then a little more and then a little more. And then eventually you ladder all the way up to, to full resistance sparring. Going back to point number one, if you've got a dedicated drilling partner, that is something that you can do basically whenever you want, as often as you want. Mm -hmm. And you actually can train every day. Like you can at 40 or 50 years old, do jujitsu every single day, but you have to do it like that. If you're Mm going to do it every or almost every single day, that's how it has to be done. Now, if you take the classic example, classic structure of jujitsu, where you come into a class, you know, you run around the room, do some jumping jacks, lunges, and then your instructor shows you how to do an arm bar. He goes, do 20 reps, do 30 reps, do 40 reps. And you, you just get through the 40 reps and it's fucking boring. Right. And you're like, Oh my God, when are we rolling? And then he's mm-hmm. like, okay, guys, you know, maybe shows a chain off the arm bar and then, okay, last half hour class we're, we're, we're sparring. Right. There's a time and a place for that format. I'm not saying you should never do that, but what I'm saying is most people waste a tremendous amount of time with that being the only format that they ever experience. So first two things, find a drilling partner, find a buddy at the gym, and then as much as you can within the bounds of your instructor's curriculum, if he shows like an X guard sweep, or if he shows an arm lock, incremental resistance in your drilling. So, so I have a, I have a question about the first item and then and, and yeah, the second item. Um, sure. First one is, so you're, you're suggesting that this person, you know, whoever he is brand new to the school wants to, you know, quickly advance his skills. Yes. He should find a partner. Now, what if, you know, you don't have somebody close to your body type, you can't find the perfect partner or yep. schedules don't yep. match up, you know, whatever the situation may be, real life stuff gets in the way. Yep. Uh, what do you suggest for that guy? You know, do you suggest a sure. training dummy? Sure. Does he, do you suggest go to a bigger school? What, uh, what, how can that person find that training buddy? I think there's a reality to very small schools that no matter how good the instructor is, you're going to, you're going to be somewhat limited in like the body types that you experience, just the range of the range of people and the range of attributes they have. But let's just set that aside for a second and say that you're just, you're very oddly antisocial. You just can't seem to find a friend. (laughs) So what, so the sacrifice that you often have to make, and I encourage my students to do this all the time is let's say you are at a school where the format is very traditional, you know, warm up two or three submissions for technique and then, and then sparring. I've never been to a school where you don't have the agency to say, Hey man, like I know this is around a sparring, but can we do some positional drilling instead? Mm. Right. Um, if you're at a school where the instructor has banned that you need to find a new school. Oh man. Yeah. No, I've never been at a school that anybody does that. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think anybody would. I'm just, you know, there's all different types of places out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And if you do find yourself in that circumstance where you're, you never, you're never given that opportunity. You, you, you just need to find another place to train. Um, 
but you but you have to make that sacrifice and it's delayed gratification because we all do love sparring it's 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 the most fun thing to do in a lot of ways you can just say to whoever you get paired up with like hey would you mind if we just do some positionals right and it's not to say that you have to just sit there and drill like you can say look i feel like i'm in a pretty good place with this with this sweep right so give me some different looks Give me about 60%, 70% of your of your attributes, meaning give me 60% of your speed, 60% of your technical ability, 60% of your strength, and let me get some repetitions. Now, if I'm so good at that move that I am turned off and I'm bored, I just ask my partner, let's bump it to 70. Mm-hmm. You know, let's bump it to 75. Let's bump it to 80. <clears throat> On the other hand, if I'm trying to get this, I'm trying to get this sweep and the person is just, you know, like rock solid on top of me for five minutes. And I can't sweep them one time in five minutes. It's your responsibility to say, Hey, I need you to bring it down a little bit. Can Mm -hmm. you bring it from, can you bring it from 70 to 60? Or I know you think you're at 60, but it really feels like you're at 90. Can Mm -hmm. we, can we bring this down a little bit? Um, I think much like in a relationship, like a romantic relationship, communication is almost always the problem. You know, just, just a, just a, a lack of communication. So you, you have to say that you, you have to tell your partner what you want. And I think if you can do those two things, I think if you could find a, a drilling buddy that you trust and then you've got just mat time to do that type of positional training, I think those two things, there are more, but I think those two things are going to take most people a lot farther than they would otherwise normally go. Mm, I agree. So um, now on the subject of uh, coming in seven times a week, and you're you're suggesting that one guy go, you know, four times or six times light and then just a couple of days hard. Uh, what if you come in and, uh, you know, you got a bunch of killers on the mat and that happens more often than not. Or, you know, the guys that are your size just want to go hard. They only have one one gear. It's it's, you know, always live. Uh, what do you do to manage that? Is that also all about a communication or is that just kind of like yeah, maybe? I think so figuring something else out. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, we have a bunch of killers on the mat at my school and it is, um, you've got one of two options as the, as you've got one of two options as the person directing your own training. You can either ask that person to train lighter with you. That's an option. Or you can just shut the fuck up, not say anything. And you can train light and they can train as hard as they want. Mm. That's the thing that people have a real problem with. The first one's not so bad. It's just kind of boring to ask somebody to, to go light. Like you feel like you're, you're boring them or you're taking away from their, their workout time. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you don't want to do that to somebody and you have enough experience, you can just tuck your elbows and your knees. You can shell up. And you can, you can train lighter. Mm. The problem people have with that is that they, that they, it's an ego issue. They don't want to, they don't want another person at the gym to think that they did better than they actually should have. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. Oh yeah. There's always that one guy was like, well, I was going light, man. I didn't know you were going hard. You know, it's just, yeah. yeah. Or, or it's the, or it's the, the, the list of, injuries that they've accumulated over the years or Mm -hmm. the list of, um, you know, 
uh, things they did that day that were exhausting. You lie landscaped and I got three hours of sleep and I, I was up drinking all night, like whatever it is, <laughs> you can just save all that and it's fine. So I think, I think you can always do it again, unless you're at a really shitty school where the instructor is insisting that everybody murder each other every session, you know, like, unless that's the case. And again, you should just leave like mm-hmm. any, you can do, you can do this, but it, it's a matter of overcoming your own boredom or your own ego or your own bullshit. That that's really, that's, I mean, I do this all the time. You know, mm-hmm. do you know how many times I got tapped out last week? How many? 50, 50, 50. I, I don't know. Probably. Yeah. Wow. I'm working on shit. Yeah. 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 But I'm not telling, I'm not, I mean, aside from me telling you right now, and I mm-hmm. suppose by default telling everybody else, it's, <laughs> it's I, I just, I'm working on stuff, you know, yeah. but I don't come in. I don't even tell people I'm working on stuff. You don't like, it's the thing is like, Hey man, I'm, I'm working on my, I'm working on my single leg X entries right now. And I'm, I'm playing bottom position because my bottom position isn't great. So I'm working <laughs> on it. Just, just shut up, just train, it, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I guess that's why that's, that's some of the complaints that people have about like this kind of stuff, right. The influencers and whatnot is just, you know, just, just shut up and train. Right. It's just, uh, we don't need to hear all that. Um, so I did, I did have some other questions I, I want to ask and one specifically before I, I had, uh, but did you not want to, do you not want to go beyond those, those two points? Oh, what, what, what else you got? Just, just, well, there's probably many more, but like just one for, mm. for the advanced, the advanced guys, mm. people also are always asking what videos they should study and what videos they should buy. Yeah, YouTube is, is a really incredible resource because there's so much on there, but it's also, it's also just like, it's just an ocean, you know? I mean, it's just, there's just so much. So you're always looking for someone to curate, like out of these out of a hundred million techniques that are posted on YouTube, what should I be paying attention to? Yeah. And I think, I think people should be buying or pirating if you're poor, um, <laughs> like just BJJ instructionals off of BJJ fanatics. I think, I think they make it really easy, but the bottom line is I do think you also need your own extracurricular study. And for the new students, our basics program is, is a great free resource once you go beyond that and you become intermediate and you become advanced, you're going to have to find other advanced instructors in the world whose material you like. And like, just you're doing extracurricular study, just like you would in, in, in high school or college, if you were really into a certain subject. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that would be, that'd be a third thing. So training mm-hmm. partner, drill and train the correct way, you know, as we've already outlined, and mm-hmm. then do your own extracurriculars within reason. I, I think um, I think doing your extracurriculars should always have been a part of your study. I think, uh, especially when I was training, uh, when I was a younger kid, I always see people, I, I would train even more during the day or when I could, but I was also younger too. Like you got some people coming in, they got day jobs, but um, you know, people were like, how did you advance so much? And I'm like, I don't just take class, you know, class is where oh, I yeah. learned yeah. classes where the instructor shows me something. But then outside of class, that's where I practice. Like that's where I get the technique right. Or that's where I like figure stuff out. Uh, class, class by itself is not enough. It's so, not. No. Yeah. So did you hit all the points? Uh, <clears throat> those are, those are the big three for me. Yeah. Um, I think the fourth one just as like somebody who's been doing this for a long time would be 
never, ever, ever get to a headspace where you feel like you've got the game figured out. Mm. I think that's, I think that's number four. People call that, that uh, the shorthand for that is be humble, you know, have, mm. have some humility, but people generally love to use humility as a flex. It's like a humble flex. Like you would like to post a picture of yourself on Instagram looking really humble, right? <laughs> you know, you've, get, you've got your, you got your head down, you know, you're, you're like, you, you know, you don't, you don't understand the vibe I'm talking about. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's a false humility, mm-hmm. real humility, it, it, at least in, in this, in the setting I'm talking about right now is truly believing in your own mind that you've never really figured the whole game out. Mm. This, it, this is the end curve of the, the Dunning Kruger effect, which you you've probably heard a lot about, which is in the beginning phases, people have a false sense of how much they know. And then, well, no, I'm sorry, it'd be the, the middle part, Dunning-Kruger effect. And then as you accumulate knowledge, you become less and less and less certain about your expertise on a given subject. The final curve of it is you start to believe in your abilities again. What I'm saying is I think it's, I think it's good to stay in that, in that middle range where it's good to believe in yourself, but also... I'm never going to be in a headspace where I go, okay, like I've, I have figured out jujitsu or I figured out this position or I've figured out this transition and nobody can teach me anything about it. Cause, cause, cause my way is the best way I've had. I've had people on their first day, teach me stuff with no grappling background. I had a guy one time. Yeah, it's true. I had a guy uh, one time. Yeah, but, but he actually taught me something. Like I had a guy, I had a guy, I was showing, I don't remember what it was, but I remember I was showing a sweep or I was showing a submission or something. And he goes, and he goes, he goes, why wouldn't you put your hand here? Mm. And I really, I always really try to listen to people when they say things like that. And I look at it and I go, and why wouldn't I put my hand right there? And I tried it and I go, what you just did is better. I go, mm. I'm teaching it that way from now on. Wow. And this, it, was, it was like, it was like his first week. You okay. know? Well, but I thought, I thought f- you meant like somebody came in and was like, well, I know jujitsu now. Um, that happens all the time too. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that happens 99.99% of the time when it's that guy. <laughs> when it, but, but, I'm, but I'm saying is if you could just, it's just, I'm, I, I'm confident now that I'm never going to get into a headspace. Hmm. where I feel like I've, where I feel like I've got something wired when it comes to, to grappling, because I am just constantly, I'm constantly proving myself wrong. Hmm. You know, that to me is real humility. And that would be probably like point number four. You hmm. know, if I'm just rallying them off, you know, top of my head, I think those four things are really important. People typically fail on point number four right around late blue, early purple, they start mm. to really, they start to really, really fail. That's, they that's start to think like, you know what, maybe, maybe I, you know, what is this, what is this guy teaching me this stuff? What does he really know? Like, I, I think I got this shit figured out. You know? Wow. Uh, so that was my next question is, is like where, which belt is the most guilty of this kind of thinking? I think, I think late blue, early purple belts are really hard to teach. Wow. They're really hard to teach. Mo- mo- most, most of them, most of the time you just like, it's the teenage stage of, of grappling. 
Huh. It's really what it's really what it is. It, it's it's I'm and I'm not saying that's that's always the case. It's just generally, generally they're they're the ones with the most the most skepticism. And I'm not and not not healthy skepticism. You know what I mean? Like there, there is a, there is a there's a healthy level of skepticism that's very good for a training room. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like it's out of balance uh, around those around those ranks. I I mean I can understand maybe purple, but blue late i'm saying late blue early yeah. purple like right around that transition period people mm-hmm. people become hard hard to teach oh so it's more about that period of time than, it's just like a range yeah 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 i think people people start to get <clears throat> when they start moving toward brown belt obviously toward black belt i think it changes again but again mm-hmm. that's that's like your adolescent adult period that's like when you come home from college and you tell your parents like god you guys were right about everything you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, uh, especially the school like yours, as big as it is with all the different uh, levels of belts and you have a lot of, you have a lot of upper belts. I'm surprised that that still happens there. Cause I mean, you would think that these guys would, you know, just then just get smushed or shown up by another higher level belt that they would just realize, Hey, yeah. yeah. I think, I think you just, you have to, I think if you're in my position, you, you, you have to just understand and work with the human nature. Mm-hmm. It's just how people are. Uh, um, and does and, it happen you know, to everyone? Do you think? No, or, no, well, no. Okay. I, I, but, but like, I think it happens to everybody to a degree. Mm. You know, the degree, the degrees can vary. But yeah, I mean, when people come in and they're new, they're very eager to learn. You've had this experience. I mean, assuming, right? I mean, okay. So let me ask you: Like, did you mm. ever? Do you ever ever have a period during your development where? you had probably more confidence in your knowledge and your ability than you should have, because I know I, I had a period like that. I for sure had one. Um, I may have had it uh, just in towards other, other competitors or other people at the school or whatever, or other students, but never, never against like the teacher. Like I always, I always uh, respected the teacher. And if there was an issue with the instructor, uh, it was never with like, Oh, he, doesn't know more than me. It was always more like, well, I need, you know, I, I need different times or, you know, I need a, a, a situation where I can get to class a little better, that kind of stuff. There's other things, but, um, uh, I did have bad instructors, but like, uh, I will say that that attitude, if I had it, I think it may have been directed more towards the students than ever. I, I never directed it towards the teacher. So yeah. I, I'm curious. Is this, so you're you're saying that some of these people are saying like, "Oh, I know more. I know more than John." It's not explicit like that. Mm. It's just a. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a questioning and mm. it's a skepticism, but it's mm. not. It's not healthy. I I really encourage healthy skepticism in the training room. I like when people ask hard hitting, critical questions about things that I teach because the the result can only be positive which is it's either i'm either going to confirm why i'm doing it the way i'm doing it or mm. i'm going to or i'm going to discover a better way mm. so there's no downside yeah now you you see this in certain students where it becomes a it becomes a pattern where every time you show anything hey does anybody have any questions mm. the same hand shoots up 
<laughs> in the same the same line of quick critical inquiry, or they don't ask a question, but as you're walking around, you guys mm. got anything? Yeah, I don't understand why we're doing it this way, and, and it's it becomes a pattern. Mm. You understand what I mean? And so, and so then, as an instructor, I I recognize this pattern in students around late blue, early purple. It mm. like starts to happen more and more, and it's and you can always tell a difference between like between like a healthy curiosity and something that's a, maybe a bit more challenge like it's it's a bit more like a challenge mm. rather than an rather than, than like an inquiry mm -hmm. and so is it, are you saying that it's like disruptive then to the to class or um, I, I really don't ever let anything get disruptive mm -hmm. um we could go all the way back to the beginning of our conversation to talk about why the school is how it is why it's successful to the degree to the degree that it's been mm -hmm. but no i don't i don't allow things to be disruptive mm -hmm. um so no it's never gotten to that point but it could you mm -hmm. know if, if it could if it ran away it could yeah i want to say that i may have like maybe i've may have been seen that way i don't think it was ever intended to be taken that way but i'm i've asked questions and uh sometimes i'm sure i've been i've annoyed the, the instructor uh but it was never like I'm challenging the guy, at least from where I sit. But I have seen those instances where the student is is kind of, you know, you know, challenging. Uh, so, you know, for, so you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. I've seen it. And maybe maybe I may have been even guilty of that, but not intentionally, like uh, because I've asked questions. I just wonder how sometimes they may be received. And I know for a fact that at least when I started at the school that I'm at now, I know that I asked a question and I got under uh, the instructor's skin and, and I know why it was purely my fault. I, I know because I'm thinking about what you're saying and I'm like, hmm, uh, I know what he I know he took it poorly. And it was like, yeah, I think I did come off with some of that energy and it wasn't on purpose. Uh, okay. It was just like okay. I was asking and it's like, oh, you know, well, I do it this way. Uh, I feel more comfortable about this way. And he's like, well, I'm showing it this way, you know, so he's he's. <laughs> You know, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't challenging. Yeah. I was just like, well, what's the benefits? And then so, like, so I can see, I can see how it could have so been that's taken. A great, that's a great example. That's a great example. So, um, yeah, the, the, the concept of like, well, I do it this way. Mm. Why are we doing it that way? Yeah. There, there's, there's a way, there's a way that you could ask that question. That's totally acceptable. Yeah. Um, and I've asked questions like that where I've been genuinely interested in the difference between technique a and technique b mm -hmm. but that question can also be answered or can also be it can also be asked in a way where it, it, there there is a there's a very subtle challenge like very subtle challenge behind it yeah i'm not talking about like a physical challenge not aggressive it's like more like an intellectual challenge right yeah, for sure for sure um and that and again like it becomes a pattern where mm -hmm. every time you walk around Dude's got his hand up. Hey, hey, John, like what? Like, I I usually do this this way. Like, like, why wouldn't you do it like this? And I'm like, dude, for the 12th time this week, like, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it, it just becomes a pattern, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I um Yeah, that was one yeah. time. I, I I don't think I ever did it again. Uh, but it wasn't intentional. And and I I agree, it was maybe something in my delivery. Uh because it didn't, you know, you asked a question too, right? So you asked a question and now you're, you're, you're essentially on stage in front of the rest of the class telling the teacher, well, I know this way, you know, uh, I know how, how it looks. And then once, so like once, once he kind of, you know, made a statement, I was like, okay, I'm sorry. You know, like uh, I didn't, I wasn't trying to, and it's my, not my intention, but I was asking. 
uh, but I can see where my delivery was poor. Yeah, I think I think critical inquiry is good. It, mm-hmm. It's it, there's really the only the only way it could be bad is if the questions just cascade to a point where you cannot move forward with class where it's yeah. just five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten questions. Then obviously it becomes it's unsustainable at that point. Yeah. Um, but again, for me, I am never interested in in being correct. Mm. If you've got a criticism and there's a detail in my technique that could be improved, there have been so many classes where I have discovered something in the middle of class and I pull everybody back to the middle and I go, so-and-so just pointed this out. It is a problem. Here's how we're going to do it from now on. Mm. I'm talking, I just, I just showed it, right? I just showed it. I make a correction in real time and now everybody's better for it. Yeah. Um, And I also think that's a good, it's a good look because, because people, hopefully look at me and go, well, he, he owns the school. He's, he's the head black belt and he is willing to admit in real time that not everything he teaches is perfect and there's an improvement. And so I feel like it gives other people the freedom to have the same attitude to Mm. just be like, okay, like I don't know everything. I don't have to know everything. Let's just, let's just learn and improve in, in, in an organic way. Yeah. And I think that uh, that fosters a lot of the creativity you've mentioned before, where people are like, well, you know, I just, you know, I'm not going to do it this way because, you know, John says so. And, you know, but then if they're discover something and they share it with you, yeah. then then you you find a new technique or something like that's that's re- pretty cool. And I'm sure it's very encouraging for your students as well. I, I mean, there's a balance to everything. I mean, I'm I'm I consider myself a very good student, like I'm a good learner. But I I also have a, an extremely critical and creative brain, and there's got to be a balance. Like you, if you you can't tilt too far in one direction, where you become a robot and everything that you're taught is the way, and there's like a like a dogmatic aspect to it, mm-hmm. that is bad. But if you go all the way to the other side of the spectrum and you're just constantly trying to create your own ways, you're constantly thinking that that you can you can always innovate past your instructor innovative paths like there's got to be a middle ground yeah for sure and that's that's the, that's a healthy place to be mm-hmm. i wanted to talk about stand-up uh something i was working on before i had surgery not too long ago so i've been out for a couple months but um i was working on uh stand-up chain wrestling mostly because one of the things i one of the bad habits that i got into and that i recognized was i would try to go for something go for a takedown go for a throw it would just be one i would throw one i would shoot once sure. i would do I recognize it because uh, when I was kickboxing, one of the habits that I got into back then was I would just throw one jab or throw two jabs and then step back or whatever. And sure. that's not going to get you to where you're going. You're just, you, you just, you're, you're, start, you're starting and stopping is basically what you're doing. So uh, one of the questions I have for you is uh, chain wrestling. How, how do I train that? How do I, get to a state where I'm just constantly trying to take the person down. What do you do for that kind of stuff? Is it a mentality thing? Is it a training thing? Uh, how do you, how do you improve in that area? Great. Um, I hope you like my answer. Um, I did think about it when you, when you sent over some of the prompts, uh-huh. 
So, um, so one of my black belts, Dan Sweeney, he's an analyst and a, a real student of grappling wrestling specifically. He does a lot of, a lot of wrestling breakdowns. Mm -hmm. And so I get a front row seat to a lot of the stuff that he breaks down. And I even have the opportunity to like ask him about stuff. Uh, do you follow him on, on Instagram? I do actually. I do. Uh, okay. I, I... So for any, anybody who doesn't at DPS breakdowns, DPS breakdowns, follow on him. Instagram it's, and, it's... and on uh, YouTube, right? I'm not on YouTube much, but I'm sure, yeah, he's, he's on there too. Mm -hmm. So if you, people, people often talk about chain wrestling as a, is a, um, it's a phrase that's kind of out there. People talk about chain wrestling, talk about linking their takedowns together. So what I'd like you to do after the podcast, anybody can do this, <clears throat> is I'd like you to go and watch some of his breakdown videos and a lot of this stuff is happening at the world level, the college level, the very highest levels of wrestling. And if you really count how these guys are chaining their takedowns together, if you just say count takedown for takedown, most of the time, the most takedowns that get chained together around two. Hmm. Okay. So there's a setup phase and then you have your first takedown entry and then Sometimes these guys will, you know, they'll go from a, say, a throw attempt to an ankle pick attempt or, or, or vice versa. But the idea that these high level guys are chaining together four or five, six takedown attempts, I feel like the numbers don't really bear that out. Okay. Mm. So when we talk about chain wrestling, let's just like maybe just keep that in view. Okay. But okay. I feel like most of the time you're seeing, a max of finishing on two uh, on, on the second takedown attempt mm -hmm. if indeed you're chaining things together so so again I, there's there's three phases that that we're talking about here we're talking about the setup phase we're talking about the initial entry phase and then you know if there is a chain right there's there's a there's a chaining phase mm -hmm. chain two three four five whatever i think the problem that you're probably experiencing you 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 feel like you feel like, oh, like my first takedown attempt is not working and I want to hook into a second one. Yeah. Right. But the problem you're likely having is between your setup phase and then your like your first takedown. That's probably where you're actually having an issue. Mm. So can I is the video like part of this podcast? Like, can I show something real quick? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't usually put the video in, uh, but uh, yeah. So you, I'm gonna show, I want to show it to you and any, anybody who's been training with me, like as I talk through this, they're going to know exactly what I'm doing with my body because I hammer this point during class all the time. Okay. So cool. Yeah, cool. Right. <clears throat> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up on my feet here. I'm going to try to give you a good view if I can. So I want you to think about like, I want you to think about like, you know, you're in an open mat and you're, you're telling, you're telling one of your buddies, like, okay, I, I want to drill some takedowns. Right. So just try to like visualize that. Like, like, what do you do? All right. The, the 10 minute timer just goes off. We're going to split this 10 minutes and we're going to drill takedowns. So I got my gi on or, or not, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. did, did you care? Gi? No gi? Specific? Um, whatever. No, I really don't care. Um, yeah. Either one is good because let's, let's use, let's use the gi because they're more egregious examples of mm. bad drilling in okay. the game. Okay. So I'm going to start. Okay. So imagine my partner's right here next to me. Okay. 
Ready? So I'm gonna start drilling. I'm gonna hit a uh, Uchimata. Okay. Okay. Do you, do you have a do you have a specific take on you that you like? Or? Uh, I I let's go with Uchimata. I like Uchimata a lot. I actually use it. I I, I love a good Uchimata. So, yeah. all right. So we're here. Ready? So I'm gonna start drilling my partner. So I'm gonna take my grips. Right. Whatever your preferred grips are. Here. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so far so good. Yep. Yeah. So no, I already made a mistake. Okay. I already totally fucked it up. Okay. <laughs> because of the entry? There was no entry. Yeah. That's my point. So most mm. people, most of the time, when they drill takedowns, their partner's right here. Mm. Right? And I'm here. And they go, okay, man, you're ready to slap, bump. And then you, right? you grip up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's no what we call match rhythm. There's no match rhythm to it. Okay. So what I always tell everybody, and I, I get, I get on people about this. I will walk around the room and get on people. As I say, you guys have to be good actors. You cannot just stand next to your partner and just take grips because you can go ahead and tell me how many times it ever happens when you're sparring. It never happens. You never mm -hmm. just walk up to somebody, them, you grips. Yeah. It never happens. Right. Now I'm not saying they have to resist you, but what I'm saying is I, I will yell before the drilling block starts for takedowns, I will yell, match rhythm. I'll yell it, match rhythm. Ever just a reminder, it's always match rhythm, match rhythm. Mm. So I start the timer, I yell, match rhythm. Hopefully, my entire room of athletes, distance from the partner, slap, bump, here, and we're moving. Now you think, okay, well, so what? So now you step in and you take your grips. No, there's always got to be an initial grip engagement. So I'll say, for example, you're going to take the collar grip on me. I'm going to, going to do, I'm going to do a, a reactive takedown entry, meaning I'm reacting to something you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. So we're here, we're moving and make the collar grip sleeve pop, dominate the grip. And then I'm going to work my way into my preferred grip setup for the Uchimata. And for me, that's the deep back grip to the belt. That's what I like. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, but if you think about if you have five minutes to try to hit takedowns on someone and you think about why you maybe weren't able to hit one, mm. it's probably because you burned two to three minutes trying to set it up or get, get to a good grip set where you could set it up. So just like just the initial drilling there, most people screw that part up. So when sparring starts or positional training on the feet starts, they're like a fish out of water because for, for the hour of drilling time or the mm. two hours of drilling time, they never actually had the initial match rhythm. Like they never practiced that part one time. So the guy grabs their gi and starts moving them around. They're like, what the fuck? Like what, what, my, my moves aren't working. I can't hit my Uchimata. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Cause you never practiced how to set it up. Mm -hmm. right? so you're, you're talking about in, and in the setup, you're talking about grip fighting. You're talking about trying to get the collar grips, at least when, when it comes to the gi. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about like your like even like your ability to just manage first contact. Mm. Like just because that like that's dead. Like literally the distance of my laptop right now to me here, this is typically the range people start in when they drill. Like, are you ready to drill our you know the, the our throws? Yeah. yeah. Grips. And it's <laughs> like, but right? Yeah. But but so I always try to I I, try, I want people to get used to the range. I want them to get used to somebody reaching out, grabbing the collar, and I want them to get used to fighting through those grips. Because like, if you can't dominate the grips in the gi, you're not going to have any real clean entries to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so then people go, oh, my entry sucked. 
I got to, I'm going to have to like, I got to chain this up. I got to chain to a better takedown. It's like, no, you could have a much more robust initial, um, initial takedown attempt. If your setups and your grip fighting in your, in your entries were better, your mm -hmm. takedown attempt one would be successful much more often, or it would be, it would be stronger. So then when, if, and when you do chain, then you're, then take the takedown number two is stronger. Your chain is better. So um, I think one of the issues too that happens, at least for me, is that as I'm coming in and I have my grips, now I got my grips. I did all the hand fighting. I did all the things. Sure. Uh, I, I either got, I got a wrist or I got uh, the sleeve, got a collar grip, whatever. Um, I, and then there's a pause. I finally got my grips. Uh, okay, now what do I do? You know what I'm saying? Like there's a beat and I feel like, at least for me, I have that beat and I can't get rid of it. It's just like, okay, now what do I do now? Like I knew what I was going to go. Like usually I go for Uchimata or I go for some kind of uh, lateral drop. Right. And mm. it, depending on what they give me, I'll go for either one of those or maybe even a hip toss, whatever. But usually when I come in, I have a, an idea in my head of what I would like to try to do. Usually it's the Uchimata, but you know, even knowing that, I'll get there and then there's a pause. You know, yeah. there's always a little beat. Okay, I got my grips. Okay, now what? And how do I eliminate that beat? Is it just about practice? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I mean, so think about like, so let's let's just assume that you that you drill takedowns for let's just say that you drill for like like an hour a week. You know, just I'm just throwing throwing that that round number out there. Mm. So again, you're having this moment in sparring where you you actually break through the grip layers and get to get to a position where you feel like I can start to initiate this takedown. Mm -hmm. Right. But the question is how many times has that happened to you during the hour of drilling that week? How many times have you broken through the grip layers? Like how many times have you, have you practiced that? How many times have you broken through those grip layers and then made the transition from setup to takedown attempts? Like how many times have you practiced that? The answer is, you know, the answer is probably like not very many times. So mm -hmm. it would be very natural to have, to have a beat where your brain is going, like, what do I do now? Yeah. If you drilled that part, there's going to be no hiccup in your brain, mm. you know, but that, but that's the thing is it, uh, we'll do like match opening week where we're just practicing like match openings and, you know, I'm going, okay, today we're, we're practicing distance management and grip fighting and you can feel the eye rolls you know what i'm saying like what? you you can feel it. it's it's like it's so I, and i get it it's so tedious mm. and it's so boring to grip fight but if you can't do it you're never gonna throw anybody yeah you're just you're just not like i'm telling you man like my actual throwing and wrestling game is very unimpressive Mm. but I am a fantastic grip fighter. Okay. So because of that, I can at minimum neutralize guys who are much, much better at takedowns than me when wearing the gi. I can, I, I can neutralize them because I can beat them in the grip fighting, which means I dominate the grips. I dominate the setups or I can stifle their setups. Mm. Right. So my shitty judo and, and wrestling game feels much better than it actually is just because of how good, how good I am at grip fighting. Mm. 
It, it's it, I mean, there are far better wrestlers than me that I can shut down in the gi because I, I can dominate the grips. And if you could just get people to that point to understand, like, look, if you make this investment in match rhythm, distance management, setting up and dominating grips, then you can do the dope shit. You can throw people through the air. You can hit those biggie pawns. You can snap and shoot your double legs. Mm. You're not going to do any of that stuff until you master the first part. It's like trying to learn how to sprint when you can't even walk. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I never, I never, I mean, I know coming in and entry fighting the grips and stuff. I know that's important. And I, um, I try to stay cognizant of it, but I, I never thought that that could be my problem. Like that would, I always blamed it on the actual technique of the takedown. I was like, oh, well, I didn't lift my leg enough for that Uchimata, or I didn't turn, I didn't turn parallel enough to him, or for that takedown, I didn't, you know, I can't, I was too high. I didn't squish down low enough to like shoot, or I didn't penetrate deep enough with that penetrating step. Uh, I always blamed it on the technique. I never blamed it. I never thought about the grip fighting, the entry part of it. Dude, the takedown is the easy part. Hmm. That's the e that is that's the easiest phase. The easiest phase is actually executing the takedown. The hardest phase is like breaking through the layers and setting it all up. That's so hard. Yeah. Huh. But 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 that's the part that nobody ever drills. It's hilarious. It's like you've got the hardest part out front, and then you've got the much easier part later on. And everybody just when they drill, drill. They just skip right to the easiest part and, and they, they don't draw the hard part. Hmm. You know, the, they don't draw the technically difficult part, which is setting the takedown up. Mm -hmm. And so when you train your takedowns, do you also like think about where you're going to land uh, with the takedown? So like, you know, you do Uchimata or whatever and he lands to think about, okay, I'm probably going to land in side control. Or I'm going to land in this other position. This is what I do next. Or do you just let it happen? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so it, when I'm, when I'm drilling takedowns, the first thing that I emphasize again, if I haven't hammered this point enough is the, whether it's gi or no gi is the hand fighting and the, um, the angles, distance management, the push pull setups. Um, and I, if I'm drilling takedowns, I might do 10 setups and entries and one finish or hmm. 20 setups and entries and one finish. Because again, you're trying to distribute your time where you're going to encounter the most resistance. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing is if you throw your partner 20 times in a row, it just beats you both up so bad. Yeah. Right. So you can, you can actually, you can actually condense your, <clears throat> drilling time into, into the area where it's going to be, it's going to have the most payoff. It's going to be the most effective, right? I'm working the hardest part. And then also I'm not throwing my partner on their back. Boom. But again, and again, and again. So yeah, when you drill takedowns, like hit, hit 20, 20 setups and entries, and then just stop or slow it down at the throwing part. And then if you want to get that finishing rhythm on 20, hit a nice finish, mm. you know, most of the time, Again, people are just drilling this stuff backwards. It's like we we're not gonna we're not gonna focus on the setup and the grips at all. I'm gonna shoot my double leg and I'm gonna finish it, and I'm gonna move to side control, and then I'm gonna do that. You know, however many times you can do that, like you can, you know, can you get ten in? Can you get twenty in? Well, I can get a hundred entries in in the time that you can hit 
20 finishes. Yeah. If that makes sense, it's quicker. Yeah. Yeah. And then the beating up of the body is, is huge, man. Um, it, it is. It's, it, is. It, it, sucks. It, it does take a toll. Uh, there've been times where I've just, you know, took a lot of takedowns and the next yeah. day is rough, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, what do you do when you got that one guy that, okay, you're, you're hitting the takedowns or you're trying to, you're trying to hit those takedowns and he's just, uh, he's really, you know, funky or he's really good at like, you know, stopping your, your takedowns or what sure. do you do with that guy? Do you, if you're feeling that you're not winning these exchanges at that point, do you pull guard or do you try something else? What, what yeah, is, yeah. what is the yeah, strategy there? Yeah, you, you've got, I think uh, I've, I've told, I've told people this before that if you want to get a black belt from me, you've got to be able to take people down and you've got to be able to, to effectively pull guard and fight from the bottom. Like you can't, you can't be one, you can't be one-sided in that mm. way. Um, and so, yeah, that's a tool that you definitely want to have in your toolbox. So I think about a five minute match and I'm showing this person for three minutes, four minutes that I'm going for takedowns. So I'm trying to take you down. I'm, I'm, I'm snapping your head. I'm faking shots. I'm, arm dragging you. I'm trying to flank you. I'm trying to go to your back. I'm trying to take you down. So you've programmed that idea into their head. Like this guy's trying to take me down. The beautiful part about that is if, and when you actually execute your guard pull, it's going to be a surprise. Mm. Okay. Guard pulls. I am the exact same way with takedowns and guard pulls. I call out match rhythm. We slap, we bump. You set up and work through grip players and you set up your guard pull. Okay. It, it, it's very rare that I have people who effectively grip and sit. There are some people who do it well. I think a good guard pull is identical to a takedown in that you set it up through distance management. You set it up through dominating grips. You set it up through push, pull, faint, snap, and then you pull guard. Right. Mm. For most people, guard pulling is physically and intellectually lazy, where they just go, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit. And they and they sit in a way that is technically incorrect and ineffective. Right. Mm, yeah. Which is why, like, you might think, like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna pull guard against this wrestler kid. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna pull and then he's gonna start moving, like moving on me, and he's gonna get, he's gonna get an angle, he's gonna get position, he's gonna be running around on top of me. <clears throat> In an ideal world, your guard pull is going to be so effective that you pull that person into a tangle right away. And you've programmed them to think for three minutes or four minutes, oh, this guy's trying to take me down. Hmm. So um, in terms of the guard pullers, so like you can't, you're going to run into these guys. Like you're going to sure. get a guy who's going to try to take you down. And yes. that energy is kind of easy to kind of work with, right? Because at least he's coming at you. He might be pulling back or whatever, but it's only it's only in strategy. It's not like like a guard pull. Um, yes. Uh, I, there's, you know, my school. There's quite a few uh, guard pullers, and it is a little frustrating to train because when you, you when you train live, I've realized I've come to realize, oh, I can't take some of these guys down. They're they're going to get their guard sure. pull. You know, how do I um, how do I deal with that kind of scenario when you have a lot of guard pullers uh, um, do, do i do i go for throws is there a throw is there a particular throw i should try or is there something else is there another strategy should, that i should employ when it comes to guard pullers um if we're going to talk about just straight technique here throws are not usually 
a good option because it requires so much engagement mm. that as you're engaging, they can sit. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You need that so, energy to push into you, right? For a lot of these throws. You're just getting so close. Like mm-hmm. you're getting, you're, 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 you're clinching with the person, which just gives them an opportunity to, you know, say like throw in a butterfly hook and sit down. Yeah. So it, so I think as a, um, as a style, I think trying to judo throw a guard puller is probably one of the worst things you can do just because of the engagement required. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've come um, to realize that <laughs> it's, it's hard. Yeah. So what, so one of the things that I like to do would be blitzing style takedowns. Like if you know the person's going, so what, first of all, what is your objective? Is your objective to steal the two? Like you're trying to steal the, the first two points off mm. the guard pole. Like you're trying to like pick an ankle or touch a leg. Is that what you're trying to do? Or are you trying to get into a situation where you can like just immediately be passing their guard you can be like in side control right away. Like, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish by, 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 you know, taking the person down? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to take the two. I want to be on top. You know, that's take the two. Yeah. I want to take the two. I want to be on top and I want to be in a position where I can smush. Right. So like, I don't want to be on the bottom. I mean, I'll play bottom if I, if I have to, but I'd rather not pull guard. I'd rather be on top. Yeah. You know? So, I guess that's the beautiful thing is that if you want to be on top and you know, the person's going to pull guard, I mean, there's, there's really nothing to worry about. Yeah. (laughs) I guess that's true, but I want to, I want the two, I don't want them to like take the two from me. Yeah. So that's a very specific goal. Like you want that two points. Okay. So yeah, I, I think if you really want to steal that two, number one, blitzing style takedowns Mm -hmm. are going to help a lot. Um, and when I, when I, when I say that I'm talking about where you're going from distance, like untouchable distance, where, where there's, there's no, even, even if the guy reaches his arm out, tries to find you that there's just no hope for contact because you're too far away. Mm-hmm. You're going from, you're going from that, that far range and you're closing the distance quickly and picking an ankle or picking a knee, this, that, that or even a, like a foot sweep, like you could step in and, and, and try to foot sweep. Like mm-hmm. those are great options. Mm-hmm. but also. One thing guard pullers really don't like if they're smart guard players is they don't like sitting without having a robust connection. Like they want to have a good connection to you. So again, this is where I just bore the shit out of my students. Okay. If you dominate the distance and the grips, it can make it very difficult for someone to effectively pull guard. Okay. Mm I understand that you want the two, but you have to also understand that the person who's pulling, they want a good pull. They want to be able to pull effectively. So if you're always breaking grips, whether it's collar grips or sleeve grips, even after they've pulled guard, that is going to be, it's going to be very stifling to the person on the bottom. It's going to be very frustrating to the person Mm -hmm. on the bottom. I mean, look, if you sit down, do you really want like a 30 year old ex-college wrestler up on his feet running around on top of you and you don't have a single grip you don't don't have a single grip you don't want that right yeah so you just revert you reverse engineer what you don't want Mm. and then you you just flip it around that's all you're doing so again for those of you just listening i'm gonna stand up again so look we start we start the training right here 
my opponents here, match rhythm, slap, bump, and we're here. The first thing I'm concerned about, if I know this person wants to pull guard, is how to manage the distance. And then if they reach out and they make a connection to me, like how to break that connection. So let's say, for example, we're here, I mess up the distance management, he sinks a collar grip, and then he sits. What is the first thing you're going to do? Well, most people, they ignore the collar grip and they just start engaging, right? The first thing I'm going to do, if this person's a very good guard player, as they're sitting, I am breaking the grip and I'm, I'm disengaging completely, mm. right? So the first thing I'm going to do, we have this agreement in the training room where if you sit down, I'm going to... St- most of the time, I'm going to step my right foot between your legs into the headquarters position, and I'm going to start passing your guard, right? That's that's just sort of like a like a gentleman's agreement for the match opening most of the time. But I will frustrate and deny the grips and the connection to anybody who sits down mm. because it's the thing you don't want. You know, if you want, if you're on the bottom, the last thing you want is that person just running around on the outside. So if you're the person on top. Just you create that scenario. They sit, you break the grips, you disengage, and then you re-engage in the open. Um, yeah. So again, I mean, for me, it's it it just all it always comes back to that initial connection. But we have so many bad habits that we create in the training room that it sometimes you just don't think of the obvious thing. Mm-hmm. So does, it, does all that make sense? Or no, it does. It does totally. And there, and it almost takes me into another. Um question uh, another area that i was kind of actually thinking about and i'm wondering if we have time for it but i'll ask it anyway so then um because i mean eventually what happens especially with guard pullers is now if they successfully created that connection that you're talking about yeah yeah uh now you're in some kind of some kind of guard right that's fair So, so then what and i know i didn't i didn't prompt you on this uh but what constitutes uh a good guard and what makes it so that you can pass a guard so like as i'm passing do i just need my head is my head is is getting my head in first a way to around their legs a way to pass the guard is that the beginning stages do i have to get my leg around them what is what is a good initial step that will get me to the point where i pass the guard that's a very complicated question, but, but I mean, but I can, I can give you, a, I can give you a solid answer that's going to work for most people most of the time. Mm-hmm. So a good guard is going to be really any guard position where you're able to use all four of your limbs. So if you've got two points of connection with your hands, mm-hmm. you've got two points of connection with your legs um, and you're able to utilize a push and a pull. So there's some, some guards that are better for, for like pulling people in. There's some guards that are a little better at pushing people away. If you can have a guard position where your legs and your arms are creating counter pressure, where you can push and pull, load and unload the person, I would consider that to be a good guard. And there, there are a lot of guards that do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. As a passer, pa- passing is definitely like my A game. One of the positions that I like to force whenever I can is I like to force bottom half guard. And the reason I like to do that is because it it helps break break the first rule that I just talked about where you're employing all four of your limbs to, mm-hmm. to be able to push and pull with, with, with top half guard. If I can force you to play half guard, if I can for, if I can force myself into the top half guard position, 
I'm really not dealing with one of your legs and one of your hips. Like I've basically isolated one side of your body where your use of that side of your body is, is pretty limited. I'm also starting to move my head and my chest closer to yours. And if you look at half guard, just for what it is, it's also half mount. Okay. Mm. So if I'm on your right side, okay, and I'm on top of you, if somebody just took a cross section and just like cut the picture in half, it would look like the left side of my body was mounted over your right hip. Mm. Okay. Of course, that's not what's happening on the other side. My leg's tied up. But I think if you're just going to put some some rules in place for, for a guard passer, especially one who has as much experience as you do, I'm going to tell you that anytime you can force top half guard position, you should do that. That's, you know, given everything I know about you, you know, that mm. that is that is going to be that's going to be a winning play. If you could force somebody into bottom half guard, that that's that's major. Hmm. Does that makes so, sense. Yeah, no, it does. Uh, uh, and funny thing, when I when it comes to, uh, and not to, I, I feel like we're going all over the place. But when you get mounted, uh, I I rarely uh, go all the way. I mean, it happens, but it's a little harder to get all the way out to full guard. When you get mounted, I like to go, you know, from bottom. I like to go to half guard because I feel there's a lot of sweeps there for me. Uh, it just may be uh, the stuff that I have. Uh, in in the in the catalog of moves, but uh, well, it's a that's it's a necessary route out of the mount position. You have to be able to go from mount to bottom half guard. Like yeah. that's just a good that's just a good fundamental. But but the but a lot of people talk about like playing half guard. Like oh, like I've got this half guard game. I love playing half guard. Mm -hmm. And I have I have essentially banned that concept at my school. No, really. You know, I, I roast people for that. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, pl playfully. I'm, I'm yeah, joking yeah. around, but so what, what do you say? Yeah, I want to, I want to hear. We just don't, we just don't like, well, I'll joke around and I'll be like, um, you know, I'll be showing like, I'll be showing, um, some, uh, some like knee shield positions, uh -huh. you know, I'm talking about like, like passing the knee shield uh -huh. and I'll go, I'll just say, you know, I go, if anybody ever plays knee shield against you, you should thank them. I go, cause you are all, I go, cause you're all going to learn how to crush this useless guard position today. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm being silly. Right. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. but if you, but if you, if you look at, um, if you just think about your own success mm -hmm. in the niche, in the knee shield position yeah. against guys who are good at jujitsu, it's mostly just the place you prefer. Probably you'd probably prefer to be in full guard or butterfly guard or mm -hmm. daily Hiva guard or a or a better guard. You know, um, so yeah, I, I love smashing that knee shield. I love smashing that knee yeah. shield. Same, every, same. every every time they throw it up, I just I was just like, this is not gonna stop me. You know, um, I, I feel I feel the same way, and and that's and it's, it's it's a version of half guard where with that top leg they can push, mm. but they can't do any. They can't draw you into a more advantageous position with mm. it. If they put that foot on the floor to hip escape then it's no longer pushing you away. Like it's just got sort of a weird limited use. Mm. I'm not saying there aren't people who, who are effective there. They are. But if you give me a level 10 guard passer versus a level 10 knee shield player, I, I'd rather be the passer every time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so then like it, you get, so what is a good transition for you from like, let's say you're on the bottom, you get stuck yeah, on half guard. Yeah. Where yeah. should I be then? I should immediately get out of half guard and go where? Just go to guard yeah, so, or so yeah. So I very rarely teach sweeps from half guard. 
Mm. I mean, I'm not saying I don't ever, I, I, I do because it's, it's something like people need to have an education there, but more often I'm all I do is I teach positional upgrades or lateral movements from half guard. So if I'm in bottom half guard, I'm trying to find a, I'm trying to find a butterfly hook to get to butter, like full butterfly. So, so that, that leg that's dangling on the outside, I'm trying to insert that instep so I can go to true butterfly guard. Mm -hmm. So that's an upgrade. I'm trying to upgrade to close guard. So my inside knee, I'm trying to, to win, you know, outside position on the body. So I can go to close guard. Um, if I feel like it's really not going my way, I will build to my outside elbow and I will just wrestle up to my feet. And as far as half guard goes, those are the big three that I teach. I teach go to butterfly, go to closed, mm. or just wrestle up to your feet. I really don't teach people to put the knee shield in and play there. I really don't teach people to dive into deep half guard and start sweeping. I'm not saying I never do. Mm. And I'm not saying I never execute those techniques. I do, but like there's a very, very limited time and place for those techniques. Hmm. It's yeah. much better to 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 have to have guards where you're either both feet inside or both feet outside. Mm. And half guard, half guard breaks that rule. Half guard is one foot inside, one foot outside. So you don't even so you don't like them going to deep half and you don't like them. You don't even mention spider guard. So you like, you don't even ask, you know, attempt to have them go to a spider guard even. Um, or is that just too tough of a transition from half guard? That, that, that That's, that's far. Yeah. You'd have, you'd have to really go to like butterfly and then go to spider guard or go to closed and then go to spider guard, which would be fine. Yeah. If that's, if that's like the, the, the style that you prefer, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Um, again, you look at spider guard, You've got four points of connection, and then you've got a push and a pull. You're, mm -hmm. you, you can pull with your arms, and you can push with your legs. So that's a that's a solid guard. Mm -hmm. half, half guard, it's just it's just it's too tough to be able to do all those things. You mm -hmm. can't use all your limbs in a very efficient way. So then, would you consider deep half even? related to the half guard because i go to deep half all the time and successfully sweep from there um, you, you can yeah mm. you definitely can i, I but i like so <laughs> i would consider it a um there's certain guards that i just consider parachutes right um mm. you'd prefer to stay in the airplane but when shit goes wrong you, you want to have a parachute Mm. I would I would consider diving for for deep half guard. I would consider that to be like a parachute for when things haven't gone exactly the way that you've wanted them to go. It's still good to have a parachute, right? Mm. But you would you would you would never teach teach that as like a primary option. Wow, that's crazy because it's like it's like my go to sometimes, and it's not like I don't treat it like the parachute. I treat it as part of the game. Yeah, I know you're using it as like an like a like an assertive attacking option. Yeah. Um, I, what I would do is I would try to like just make an appraisal of like how successful that is for you when you're playing against people around your size and your level, yeah. and and then just scale that up. Okay, well, how does it work against people around my size who are a little better than me? Or how do it, how does it work against people my size who are like good black belts? Like how well is it working? Mm. And if you come to find that it's like working against like white, blue, and purple belts who are your size or smaller, I can see that. You yeah. know what I mean? I can see that happening. So like you really need to like 
like have it like have an appraisal there of like, you know, how well is this really going to work against my peers? Yeah. Um, it'll work once against someone my size, but not again, you know, um, you know, they'll, they'll know it's, they'll see it coming, but also they, they don't like me in half guard or deep half. They'll see me, they'll see me going to deep half and uh, a guy, my size and, and my level will smush me and it'll, mm. he'll make me miserable. I might get my sweep, but I'll, I'll, I'll pay for it. I understand. Yeah, yeah. sure. Huh? Yeah. I'll have to sit down and really take inventory and see, see how that is going for me. Really? I mean, like I said, you could just, yeah, next time you go to train, just run that experiment. I mean, just try to get somebody who's, you know, get like a a brown belt who's, you know, around your, around your size and Mm. do it, do it against the cut, dive in there and see how well, how well that's, that's going. Uh, Or, or look at it like this. Like if you went to a competition, Mm. like an IBJF event where you're going to be competing against your peers, how confident are you going to be in initiating that? I was before I had this conversation, I was pretty confident. (laughs) <laughs> I, don't know. I, I don't know and like and the thing is too like there are some guys who mm-hmm. are just really good at shit that doesn't work for a lot of other people mm-hmm. you know i was telling uh, i was telling travis about this the other day that if you look at um jordan burroughs who uh was a very high level wrestler he would execute double leg takedowns in a way that you just can't really replicate and teach broadly mm. Like he would, he would, he would shoot from such a distance and he would cover so much ground. And I believe he would also use a variation where he would put his forehead in the chest, which for most people, they can't cover ground that fast. They're not that explosive. And if they do use that head in the chest position, they're just going to herniate a disc or two in their neck once they hit the ground because of the sort of the snapback effect. Yeah it's a real technique for him because he's just got certain, he's got a certain style and certain attributes where like that works. So maybe it's possible that deep half guard is, is that for you where it's like, you can make that work, but you would have a very hard time teaching a bunch of other different types of people to have success there as well. Yeah. Yeah. People are just specialists sometimes. Yeah. I understand. I don't think I'm that gifted. I don't think I think I need to take an inventory and, and make sure that I'm I'm actually executing against people that 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 would fall for this for real. Like because uh, I, I don't ever make that assumption that I'm the exception. Yeah, there, there's yeah, I, I feel that I that mean, could be that could be dangerous just in general to like assume that I can be that one special guy with the best the best deep half guard. Um, I mean, it's a, it's like it's a life saying from somewhere i don't know where but people say just because you can doesn't mean you should yeah and and that that and you see that in grappling all the time you'll see people do things that they can do um but it's building every anytime you do anything in training like you're building you're building a habit that's literally what training is people like oh it's trained what does it mean to say that like you're training well it means that you're that you're building habits and so when I see people train lazy, not, I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but I'm saying mm. when I see people train lazy and they, they, they do technically incorrect things when they're training light, I'm like, man, you're like, you're building bad habits. Like you're doing, you're doing this thing that you can get away with against this unskilled person, but you're building very bad habits. Yeah. That's what training is. Training, training is just building habits. That's all it is. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I just, 
I just, yeah, I, I agree with that. And you got to be very cognizant of how you're training, right? Like you can't just, like you're saying, you got to come in with intention, but I think it's important to have the instructor that has that, that mindset or that, that vision, that perspective that can say, Hey, look, uh, cause there are people who don't even realize what they're doing is wrong. Right. There, you could be at a school where the instructor believes he's doing a good job. Right. But then there are things like you're talking about that they're not even thinking about, right? Like just yes. mat yeah. rhythm, for example, is a perfect example of that. I've yeah. been at, at plenty of schools where they teach judo stuff or they teach takedowns, but they don't talk about, they don't even, you know, have this concept of, I got to break this grip first, or I got to, I got to manage my distance, um, or I got to penetrate that step or, or whatever, you know, like there's so many little things that they are not hitting. And I, um, and it's not, it's not because they don't want to teach that. It's just, they don't have your perspective, right? They don't, they don't think about these things. So, um, yeah, man. Speaking of training and I was thinking about that half guard knee shield stuff, you were, I think you were around for some of that knee shield wrestle out stuff that I was, I was showing. Weren't we playing with that one time? We played with that. Yeah. we were, I was in bottom position. Mm-hmm. I was doing knee shield, and I was I was showing that like top side frame, mm. uh, uh, bottom side elbow, and then you were just like hip heist out, and it was like yeah. what the fuck? Like you just keep getting up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I remember you were, that. You were. I thought you were there for that. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah no, we we actually did a podcast, and I would I, I guess I was at your school, and you taught yes. that. Yes, that's you know, right. Uh, when are we doing that again? You want me to come over and uh, and say what's up? Yes, yeah, dude, I would love that. I would love that. Uh, I gotta, I gotta pass it by the uh, the boss. I understand. Um, I understand. But yeah, but yeah, I would love to do that, man. I would love to come over and and we could do that again. Um, I'm having surgery on my nose. Hopefully, at some point here in the next couple of weeks, I'm gonna mm-hmm. get my my deviated septum fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, like. I don't know what the, (laughs) what the window will be like for training there. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, we got to, it would be really cool if you would come and we could do, we could do like another podcast, maybe even do like um, some some type of like vlog, like a video blog where like we, like we talk, we can talk jujitsu a little bit and then Uh we can kind of like do some technical stuff, like, like basically mid podcast, like with video, that'd be cool. That would be cool, man. I, I I'd be down for that. Um, so when are you getting your surgery? Uh, not to get too in the weeds. I probably no, cut no, no, this no. It's fine. Out. It's fine. I've got I've got I've got a I've got an appointment on Friday. Um, to um, just kind of have some stuff looked at, and then I'm mm. I mean, kind of hoping to schedule something for 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 January, but I don't know what I don't know. I'm not yeah. sure yet. Yeah, because uh, maybe maybe sometime in July, because uh, I'm still getting over my knee. Uh, I had to get it scoped. Oh, did yeah. Damn, dude. Okay. yeah, it's not a big deal. It's it, I, I okay. dude, like the moment they, they fixed it, uh, I could have walked out of that hospital. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it's fantastic. Uh, okay. I right. might be looking at osteoporosis, uh, osteoarthritis, arthritis. Yeah. but, uh, other than that, it's pretty good right now. Um, nah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah, I'll be fine. <laughs> uh, but, uh, like in July, maybe, uh, we'll, we'll, okay. well, I'll keep you posted and we'll figure that out. That'd be sick. But that would be dope, man. That would be really cool, man. Okay, I'm done. All right. So I'm going to close it up here. Uh, Thank you so much, John, for coming on the show. Mm -hmm. Today I had John Lawrence, owner and uh, head instructor of Hurricane Jiu-Jitsu out in Cleveland. If you want to check out his website, what is it? HurricaneJJ.com. That's it. And uh, you can also find him on Instagram under hurricane.jj. You got it. That's it. On Instagram. So uh, please check them out. 
Uh, thanks so much, John. And thank you so much for listening. The music you're listening to is titled Who's Gonna Stop Me by Umi. You can find that over at Epidemic Sound. And if you haven't heard of Epidemic Sound, it's a company that provides royalty-free music for a low monthly cost. And if you're a content creator like myself, you'll definitely need very different music for your content. So if you're looking for something really different like hip-hop, reggaeton, etc., make sure you check out Epidemic Sound. And when you do... Make sure you use my referral link in the description. Another company I want to bring to your attention is Titan Fitness. It's a brand that I totally believe in. I love their equipment. They provide fitness equipment for your fitness journey. And if you're looking for weights, barbells, a rack, etc., they have just what you're looking for. And it's always at a good price. So if you're looking for something that's not going to break your bank, Titan Fitness is the place to go. And if you decide to go over there, make sure you use my referral link in the description. It was great having John on again. I have learned so much from him since I started this podcast and I hope you have to. The setup makes sense to me. Like I got to do a better job of setting up and it's going to be something I'm going to be concentrating on now that I can get back to it after this surgery. Now, John is an awesome instructor. And if you're looking for a jujitsu academy with lots of success and you live in Cleveland, then you got to check out Hurricane Jiu-Jitsu. It's a wonderful facility. It's huge. And he's got two mats in that place and they just concentrate purely on jujitsu. If you want to check them out, make sure you go to HurricaneJJ.com. And if you want to, like, look to see what else John is up to, you can check him out on Instagram. He runs on Instagram under the name Hurricane.JJ. And I'd be remiss if I did not also tag in here Dan Sweeney, who John mentioned during our podcast. Uh, if you're looking for a great follow with a lot of informative breakdowns on wrestling, you got to check out DPS Breakdowns on Instagram. And, of course, if you're interested in us here at the Flow World Podcast, make sure you check out our website, theflowworldpodcast.com. Also, if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can follow me under the name Edgar Otraves, or you can follow the show on Instagram under the name The Flow World. And if you've been digging the podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, and comment wherever you get your podcast at. Press all the buttons and make the podcast gods happy. Thank you so much for listening. This is Edgar Otraves. I'll catch you next time. Behave yourselves. Later.